good morning, church. I want you all to know Heather Kadoy gave me a protein bar this morning. So the preaching shall be fire. Um, and if it's not, it's the protein bar's fault. Uh, so we are in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, you want to go ahead and grab those. Turn with me to Acts uh, chapter 10. Uh, and just a quick pro quo. I don't know if that's the right word. It just sounds cool. Uh, the book of Acts, what we have seen throughout the book of Acts up to these, these nine chapters thus far is we've kind of seen how the Holy Spirit and its role in the church has slowly been revealed to us. We saw the Holy Spirit come out at Pentecost, and then we saw the Holy Spirit fall down on the 3,000 as Peter preached, and we continue to see the Holy Spirit moving and working, and his, the revelation of what the Spirit is doing in each kind of scene that we've been looking at has kind of just grown. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit has kind of been on highlight uh, throughout these nine chapters, and this morning is not going to be uh, any different as we look at uh, chapter So last week we saw the conversion of Paul the Apostle, uh, formerly known as Saul the Accuser, and we saw him get knocked off his horse in this big kind of turning point in his life, right? Everything that Paul thought he knew was wrong. Well, most of it anyways, right? He had this big falling off, going blind, having to get healed. Well, Just as Paul's whole world got flipped upside down, we're going to see that happen to two more folks this morning. We're going to see the Holy Spirit is really going to jump out of a reactive role and jump into an active role. So if you guys are with me, chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 1, and we'll just kind of walk our way through this story. Chapter 10, verse 1 starts off, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So real quick, so we meet our first character, this man named Cornelius. So just a few things about Cornelius that we can gather here. First is he was a centurion. What a centurion was, was a commander in the Roman army of a hundred men. So he had a hundred soldiers underneath him. What that means is he's a tough dude. Fair to say? You guys have seen the movie Gladiator? Are you not entertained? Right? You guys with me? So Cornelius is this centurion, this tough guy. He's got a hundred soldiers underneath him. We also know that he's probably Italian, right? Like if he's over the Italian cohort, there's a good chance he's Italian. But we also know he feared God and all of his household. So we have this Italian God-fearing centurion. That's Cornelius. With me? Sweet. So he worshiped God, but he's missing something, right? He's giving, he's loving, he's following God, but he's missing something. He's missing Jesus, right? His, his, his faith is, is not complete yet. There's a new peace that needs to happen. So that's where we have this man sitting. His, his household is a worshiper of God, right? So he's a good leader within his family. He's worshiping God, and we see we get this introduction. Verse 3, it says, About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? 
And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who had spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So a couple things that are happening here. First, it says, at the ninth hour. It's kind of a specific time, right? If you were to jump back into Acts chapter 3, you actually read about Peter and John going to the temple at the ninth hour of prayer. So we get a little bit more insight to Cornelius. He's very astute to Jewish law, to Jewish worship. So as everybody in, in, in the Jewish faith would be praying at this ninth hour, this, this Italian centurion would do the same. So he's sitting there in his, in his probably daily personal prayer time, right? This is his set-apart prayer time. It's probably been the same for years and years and years. And then this time, though, an angel shows up. And I love how they uh, tell you how Cornelius responded. He stared at him in terror. Now, remind you, we're talking about the centurion right here. Right? This is the are you not entertained guy, right? This is the, the warrior. This is, this is the Roman soldier. Fear is not in his wheelhouse. The thing about Cornelius is he doesn't respond in fear. He doesn't live life in fear. Things don't scare him. And yet, this angel comes and puts him in a position completely contrary to everything he understands. Everything that he thought he knew, right? I am Cornelius, the Roman soldier. I fear nothing except this angel. <laughs> so everything that Cornelius is has just been put on stage and flipped upside down, and his only response is, what is it, Lord? Right? Like, hey, you're cool. You're an angel. You're bigger. You're badder. Whatever it is you need, I'm there. So the angel tells him what to do. He says, I need you to go get Peter. Peter is in Joppa. So it says he gets two of his uh, servants and one of his soldiers. And I think he did that because he knew, I want to make sure they make it. Right? He's got two servants. Servants are servants. Then he's got a soldier. Probably his number one guy, right? The guy he knows that if I need to do something, this is the dude I'm calling. So he wants to make sure these messengers get to Peter. But there's something changing right now. The Holy Spirit in its, its job, we're starting to get this revelation of something new that the Holy Spirit is doing. See, this is the first time in Acts that we're watching an apostle be summoned. Right? Every other time, the gospel has gone to the people by the wanderings of the apostles. Right? The apostles just happen to be somewhere, something happens, and they preach the gospel, and it happens. Right, So the Holy Spirit has been acting as a reaction to whatever the apostles were doing. This time, though, we see the Spirit show up, tell Cornelius, go get this guy. So the Holy Spirit is no longer in this just reactive role here. We see him stepping into something new. We see the Holy Spirit now leading through, he's going to, and he's going to summon an apostle. Now, I feel it's prudent for me to real kill, just kind of give you a little bit more information about what's going on. The reason Peter is in Joppa, so last chapter, we read about Paul the apostle, right? 
He gets blinded. We have this huge miraculous thing. His eyes are brought back. We learn about how Paul's going to suffer, and he's going to go out to the Gentiles. And then in the end of chapter 9 there, we go to Peter, and it literally says, and Peter is just moving on. It says Peter's going from here and there. And he goes into Lydia, he goes into Lydda, and he heals a paralytic, and then they're all like, oh my gosh, that's amazing, and he preaches the gospel, and then he goes into Joppa, and then there's a person named Dorcas, and he raises her from the dead, miraculous, right? Such a huge thing, right? Like falling, healing, now we're talking about raising someone from the dead, right? This is a mighty miracle, and so Peter has just been kind of moving around, preaching the gospel wherever, and he gets into Lydda, and then he ends up in Joppa, and then the Holy Spirit moves through Peter, raises Dorcas, and everybody in the city says, don't leave. Stay. So, what else is the Spirit doing? The Spirit is moving, and it has locked Peter down. So, in order for Cornelius to send to get Peter, Peter has to be where Cornelius can go get him. Peter, at this moment, was just kind of going around talking about the gospel. The Holy Spirit says, hang on, I need Cornelius in his household to hear about Jesus. Stop, Peter. So he has this massive raising of the dead, which is great. But its sole purpose here was to hold Peter. Because now this whole city is like, whoa, what's going on with this guy? So Peter's in Joppa so that he can be summoned. So the Holy Spirit is doing quite a bit more than just reacting already in our story. Amen? New things. New things. Story keeps going. Chapter, or verse 9. It says, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by the four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came again and said a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed, as to what this vision had, he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made an inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. Okay, so pause real quick. So we've, we've had this miraculous scene with Cornelius where this angel shows up, brings a centurion into a, a fearful tremble, who then sends his best servants to go find Peter, who stuck at Joppa because the Holy Spirit made sure Peter wasn't going anywhere. Peter goes up on the rooftop the sixth hour. He's going to pray. This is Peter's time of prayer. He's praying, and I love it. He gets hungry. I mean, who doesn't get hungry when they're praying, right? So here's Peter up on the roof like, Lord, tell me where to go, whatever. I don't mean, I don't know what his prayer looks like, but he's praying, and he's like, man, I'm hungry. And I love that it says, right, he says, I'm hungry. And right there, at the end of, in the middle of verse 10, it says, but while they were preparing it, which means whoever was caring for him was like, we got you, Peter. Just keep praying. You keep doing your thing. We'll bring you up some food. And so Peter's in this hunger state. And so the Lord uses that as an opportunity, right? So he brings down this sheet with all of these animals on it. It says, kill and eat. Now, that might seem kind of strange for us, right? But as far as Peter's concerned, see, Peter grew up Jewish. He understands the law. He understands that there are animals you can eat, and there are animals 
that you cannot eat. This is this the law. See, God instituted the law for Israel that Israel might look different than the rest of the world. Everything about the law, that was its purpose. Whether it was civil, whether how uh, Israel was going to live with each other was all so that they would look different. So that people could go, why do they look different? And, and they could say, oh, well, because God commanded us to live differently, right? It could be dietary. Don't eat this because, well, you're going to be set apart. Praise God for Jesus because we get bacon now, but that's a whole other story. So, so here's Peter in this, this, this he just is, he's had this moment, right? Like, could you imagine, first off, being Peter in our last chapter, raising someone from the dead, right? Like, that's you got to be like, wow. Right? So he's at this moment where he's, he's, he's healed a paralytic, he's raised someone from the dead, he's in Joppa, he's up on the roof, and he's, he's hungry and he's praying, and all of a sudden this food comes down. He sees this sheet with all these animals, and we can only assume probably, if not all of the animals, were those he wasn't supposed to eat. Might, might, have, been a, might have been some clean, some unclean. We don't know for sure. We just know that there were unclean animals there because Peter's response is, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. You know something to note here. How many times did this happen? Three times. That sound familiar with Peter? Yeah, denial three times, right? I don't know. I feel like Peter might have learned his lesson, but maybe not quite yet. So here's Peter up on the roof. He's hungry. This vision comes. It says, kill and eat. Peter's like, never. I would never do that, Lord. I follow dietary restrictions. And then the God's response, he says, don't call, uh, what does it say? It says, don't call what God has made clean. Do not call common. Three times this happens. Then it goes away, and Peter's left on the roof, hungry, perplexed, and now people are at the door. There's where Peter's at. So now let's put ourselves in Peter's mind, right? So just as... Uh, Cornelius knew not fear, right? Was this tough guy, didn't know what it looked like to tremble. Peter was following the law, dietary restrictions, circumcision, all of those things, and he thinks he's doing the correct thing. And then God comes to him and says, hey, eat. And he's like, no, 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 no. Nice try, Lord. Shall not be tested. And the Lord says, don't call common what I've made clean. And Peter's still wrestling through everything he knows, everything he knows about what it is to be clean and unclean is in the law. And he's saying, everything you're saying right now, Lord, goes against everything I know. I do not have a paradigm in my mind to reconcile this. So he's perplexed. Sometimes I love the language the Bible uses. He's perplexed. So here's Peter. He's had this moment three times. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I feel like if I was Peter, I would recognize the three things. I said this three times. He said that three times, and it disappeared. Like there's got to be kind of this, you know, what happened back when Christ was, was crucified. I feel like Peter's got to be kind of going through all of these mental things. He doesn't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, here's these guys at the door asking for Peter. So Peter has no time to truly reconcile what's happening. He's kind of stuck in this thing. So a quick note, for Peter and for all other Jews, the law was how one was made clean. But God is beginning to reveal a completed understanding of how one is being made clean. He's beginning to reveal a work of the Holy Spirit. So we're seeing 
a fullness thing happening here, right? Christ says that he's the fulfillment of everything, of every prophecy. We see that this whole calling out and the setting apart of the people in the law. What we're seeing now is God is taking, and he's taking these signs that all of the Jews, up until this point, right, the church is pretty much made up with Jewish converts. This is going to be the first time a non-Jew is going to get inter- interfaced with the, with the gospel. This is the, time, the first time the gospel is going to reach to a non-Jew. So, in order for a Jewish person to go to a non-Jew with the gospel, their paradigm has to shift. They have to realize the law and its fulfillment in what the Holy Spirit's doing. Does that make sense? So there's, God is moving pieces. The Holy Spirit has got his whole chessboard out, and he is moving all of the pieces right now, pieces we don't even know he's moving. He's moving all of them right now. Keep going back in the story. Verse 17. It says, now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason you are coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. So before Peter can even work any of this out, he has to interact with this whole situation where he's being summoned by somebody to hear what God has told him. What God tell him? Right? Peter's got to be like, uh, 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 okay? But the Spirit said something specific, Right? In verse 19, it says, While Peter was pondering this vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, these men are looking for you. Rise and go and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So we have our confirmation that the angel that showed up at Cornelius was a work of the Spirit. The sending, the going, the getting, every bit of everything that is happening right now is a work of the Spirit. Something new. Something new. The Spirit's now not just following the, the apostles along and following wherever they preach the gospel. Now we have the Spirit way over here in Caesarea, where no apostles at, talking to a non-Jew, having a non-Jew grab Peter from Joppa that he might come tell them what God has told him. This is a, this is a mighty work of the Spirit happening right now. There, there is a, a big moment, a big shift, and you're going to see as we continue out through the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit will continue to stop and then redirect the apostles. What that means is the salvation of God's people, that is God working in every bit of of aspect that's happening. There is no, const- there is no uh, happenstance. There is no, uh, it just happened to be. But he is moving every bit in peace. So, 
Pastor Jeff has been big about making sure we don't get lost at the big, uh, get lost, lose the big miracle by seeing the flashy miracle. That's what I was trying to say, right? He keeps saying, don't get stuck at the flashy. Well, healing a paralytic, that's pretty flashy. Raising from the dead, I mean, come on, if we're going to be flashy, that's the flashiest we can get, right? How about an angel bringing fear to a centurion or this vision of Peter in this trance? A lot of flashy things are happening right now, but what we have to see past that is, is we see the Spirit taking the gospel into a place the apostles never thought of. We see the Spirit summoning the apostles to come do a work over here because he has people here. There's a big shift in what's going on right now. And we know it's the Spirit because he tells Peter, right? He says, look, I sent them. Go without hesitation. I don't think Peter would have gone without hesitation had the Spirit not said it specifically. What we know about Peter is he likes to argue. He argued with Jesus he argues with the Spirit during his vision. So the Spirit wants to be really clear. Peter, don't hesitate. Don't argue with me. Go. So he comes up. These guys show up. He goes, what can I do for you? They go, hey, our master Cornelius is sent for you. We need you to come so you can, he can hear what the Lord has told you. Now, again, I think Peter's got to be like, what the heck did he tell me? He didn't say anything to me about these guys are going to come and go tell these people. He says, so come on in. So quick note, so this week we are seeing the ministry of the Spirit in a new light, right? We are seeing the Holy Spirit actively moving rather than reactively falling. We're seeing that the Spirit is actually orchestrating and then saving. The Spirit is doing every bit of this. Paul, Peter had nothing to do with anything. Peter just happens to be the piece of the chessboard that's moving. Back in the story, verse 23 says, the next day he rose and went away with them. Some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked to him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So I was sent for, I came without objection, and I asked then why you sent for me. Now I stop here because I want us to really just recognize Peter's heart is still not there. It's still not there. Because he has to make a point. He goes, you know how illegal this is for me, right? He's, he's, he's drawing a really clear definition of Jew and non-Jew. So the Spirit has sent him here to go talk to these people. He gets there, and he's kind of like, first off, I think he's a bit overwhelmed by how many people are there. He's expecting to talk to Cornelius. He shows up, he's expecting to talk to this Roman centurion. He's going to have a one-on-one -on -one chat with the Roman centurion, uh, fig figure out what he's going to tell this Roman centurion, and then walk away, go back to Joppa, do his thing. But what's actually happened is he shows up, goes into this room, and Cornelius, so excited to share what the Spirit has to tell him, he invites his friends, his family, he fills his house, 
Because he says, I don't know what's coming, guys, but it's good news. I don't know what God's got to say. Maybe God's got to tell us horrible things, but God's going to tell us something, and I want you to be part of it. So I think Peter walks into the scene, all of these people, and he's like, ah, not quite expected here. So he just kind of makes this, this, this clear definition. I still don't think Peter's there. I don't think Peter understands. I think Peter's still perplexed on what God is doing. Because he shows up in this room, all of these Gentiles, not really sure what to do. Hasn't actually had a Peter say this to these people. But he walks in, he's like, okay, let me just, let me just real quick put this out. And I think it's because he's afraid of the guys who came with him. Right, Because there was some brothers from Joppa went with him, and I think he's kind of afraid what they might think if Peter was just to, I don't know, hug these guys and bring them in. They'd be like, Peter, <laughs> those are Gentile dogs. So I think Peter's got a little bit of fear of what these, these, these guys from the, the, from the Jewish nation would think. And so he gets there and he's like, now you know, I am a Jew and I follow the law and this is illegal. But I had this vision, still don't know how to work it out. God told me not to call things unclean that he made clean, so I'm here. That's kind of where Peter's heart is at this point. That's where his heart is. Keep on going, verse 27. And as he talked with him, and he went in and found many persons gathered, he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for the Jews to associate or visit with another nation, but God has shown me that I should call any person uncommon or clean, that I should not, sorry. So when I was sent for, I came without objection, I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. There it is again. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard by, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. And now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all you have been commanded by the Lord. Now if it isn't awkward for Peter, it is now. Because Peter has made it very clear, this is unlawful for me to be here. Where Cornelius could have been like, yeah, well, I'm Roman, and I'm going to pop you in the face. Instead, he goes, he retells the story Peter already knew. Mind you that. When Peter goes, why did you call me? He already knows why. The servants already told him why, right? So he knows why he's there. He gets the exact same story. And I love Cornelius. He says, look, man, and you have been kind enough to come. We're all here, ready to hear whatever the Lord has commanded you. Peter has got to be a bit shaky. I, I mean, I don't mean any disrespect on the apostle, but I think his heart is still being worked on. See, the Holy Spirit is about to pour out and expand into the Gentile world for the first time ever, which is massive. You and me, we're here because that happened. I doubt many of us in this room can chase our, our genealogy to, to being Jewish. I doubt many of us could, if any. So the fact that what is about to happen in Cornelius' household has a direct effect to us and the church global, we have to pause and take a moment that the Spirit is caring for Peter. The Spirit is, is, is working on Peter in his heart in this moment just as much as he is everyone else. Because Peter has a skewed view of the gospel here. 
He has an unfull view of what God's doing through the gospel. And so just as he's going to pour out the Spirit onto the Gentiles, and we'll see the Gentile church burst out from here, Peter, one of the beloved, one of the three, let alone the twelve, even him and his humanity, we see the Spirit caring for him. We see the Spirit's doing a work within the church global and within the, the man, Peter. And it's love. Cornelius is like, you were kind enough to come. I, don't, I know it's unlawful. I know this doesn't make sense, Peter. I don't know what's going on. I'm just excited. Everybody put yourself in Cornelius' shoes, okay? We've all prayed. Most of us probably haven't had an audible answer. So could you imagine praying one day and the Lord saying, hey, go get this guy and he's going to speak on my behalf? How excited are you? <laughs> Finally, a real answer? Not just a feeling that I got to negotiate, but genuinely like actual words that are coming. So he's just sitting here, he's like, I can't wait for, to hear this. I can't wait to see all that's going on. And I want everybody I care about to hear about it. Family, friends, he's packed out his house so that they could hear what he has been commanded by the Lord to say. So let's see what Peter says. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he has sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So real quick, he says, I get it now. There are acceptable people in all nations. Notice he didn't say there are elect, there are his people in other nations. No, these are acceptable, right? He kind of has this like halfway in, halfway out term going on here. He goes, now I get it. That there are people viewed acceptable in other nations. But, right, as for the word he sent to Israel, Peter is still wrestling through his gospel presentation to the Gentiles. He is still, he's got this perplexing vision of, of making clean, unclean. He's got this perplexing situation going on. He, he hasn't actually been told to say anything to these people. He's got this room full of Gentiles, and he's just not quite getting it. He says, I don't know what I'm supposed to tell you. I know what I'm supposed to tell Israel. I don't know what I'm supposed to tell you guys, but I know what I'm supposed to tell Israel, right? Preaching good news of peace through Christ. He is the Lord of all. And he keeps on going. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day, made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge of the living and of the dead." To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins <clears throat> through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, 
And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even to the Gentiles. So check it. Peter's gospel presentation, I don't believe his heart's in it. I don't believe this is Peter's most prolific gospel presentation. Right? If you think back to Acts 3 when he's like proclaiming to 3, you murdered Jesus, right? Like his, his conviction in that. Here he's still perplexed. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to tell the gospel that was meant for Israel to these Gentiles. He ties it into the prophets who the Gentiles don't really know. The law that the Gentiles don't really follow. So he's just kind of monkeying his way through this. Like, okay, the only thing I know that the Lord has commanded me to do is to give the gospel. So I'm going to give the gospel, and I'm going to give it to these group of people that I just don't quite get it. I don't think his heart's completely in it. I think it's still perplexed. But what is in it? The Spirit. Because before Peter even finishes, the Holy Spirit falls. And now all of those who, what? The believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. So a couple things to note here. We have a clear definition now. Circumcised and uncircumcised here, right? Why would they use that term circumcised if there wasn't a meaning to that idea of circumcision, right? Now, the idea of circumcision in the church actually will be a wrestle point for that first century church. There are letters, Galatians is literally talking about that. Judaizers who are trying to force Gentiles to follow things of the law like circumcision. So a couple things to just kind of know in this, okay? I don't think Peter's heart was in it always. The Spirit was. I believe the Spirit fell first so that Peter couldn't deny. I don't think Peter would have been like, now that you've heard the gospel, let's repent and be baptized. I don't think he would have done that. I don't think the invitation would have been made. I think he would have just given the information. So the Spirit falls first. That's something to note. Second thing to note is Peter didn't go by himself. Notice Peter, we don't hear that Peter asked for people to come with him. But members of the circumcised party, right, Jewish Christians, followed. And so they watched everything. They watched from the moment the people came to hearing the story from the servants, to showing up to Cornelius' house, to hearing from Cornelius, to seeing this huge group of people, to watching Peter kind of bumble his way through the gospel, to now the Holy Spirit falling on these Gentiles, uncircumcised Gentiles, those without the sign that says you are God's people, and they're amazed. Why? Because next chapter, Peter's going to have to go back to the church and be like, guys, check it out. It's not just for us. He's going to have to go tell the entire Jewish church, the Jewish Christian church, that it's not just for us, that the Gentiles are to be called to. He's going to have to go. And guess what? If Peter went on his own, I think folks would be like, Peter, you're crazy. But there were witnesses. So Peter had to be in Joppa, in the house of Simon the Tanner, so that not just that Peter ended up in Caesarea and this mighty miracle happened, but that Peter ended up in Caesarea with this mighty happened with witnesses. So just more pieces, the Holy Spirit's moving about to make sure that what needs to happen is going to happen. So there's a big paradigm shift for the Jews right now. 
So we have this massive, beautiful thing where the Holy Spirit is poured out on Gentiles now, and we're going to see the church go out into the world, into other people, into to nations not Jews, but there's something happening in the Jews now, right? Because God doesn't just stop working on each individual person, right? So we had Peter had this perplexing thing. See, in Genesis 17, so the idea of circumcision starts all the way back in Genesis when they call Abraham. This is what Genesis 17, verses 9 to 14 says. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant and any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. That is where Israel lives. That is where the Jews live. So for them, what is happening right now does not compute. It doesn't compute for them. Because there's this sign. How many times did God make sure to say, if this sign has not been there, then they have nothing to do with me? The sign of circumcision, this was a massive thing. This was the sign to say, you are my people, I am your God. This was this, this flag that they flew, this was what it was about. And here we have the Holy Spirit pouring out on those uncircumcised. For Peter, for every Jew that's there with him, they're looking at this like, what is happening? What is, what is going on that... that this makes no sense to me. Something is happening, and it doesn't make sense. This is, this is mind-blowingly new for the church. This is going to, like I said, it's going to be a wrestle for every Jew through this first century. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a thing, because it has been so ingrained in them that this is the sign. This says we're God's people if we're circumcised. If we do something, it proves we're God's. If we follow the law, it proves we're God's. Let's finish the story real quick. So verse 44 says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who would come with Peter were amazed because the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain some days. Peter gets it now. This is the moment. God has orchestrated all of this so that Peter would get it. There's a fulfillment to circumcision happening right now where there was a sign for uh, the Jews to follow this idea of circumcision, now what happens is the Holy Spirit falls on who? The believers. The believers is who it falls on. God's people, apart from the law. 
That the law was a foreshadowing of what was to come. We're getting the fulfillment of that. We're seeing the other side of this sign. So Peter, he's sitting there and all of this, again, man, I don't know his feelings, but I wish I could. To just have gone through this whole progression, right? Of honestly not really knowing what the church is supposed to look like because they're trying to figure out what the church looks like. There's all these new teachings of Jesus that are fulfillments of Old Testament stuff. He's moving in and about all of these Jewish places. He's teaching Jews about Jesus and how he's the fulfillment. He's doing these miracles. He gets called to these Gentiles and he's just perplexed. But God is showing Peter that, look, man, the Holy Spirit and what it's doing, man, it's, it's bigger than you can imagine. The work of the Spirit is, is more than just reacting to you preaching a good sermon. The Holy Spirit is, is not just your, your, your comforter, but the Holy Spirit is actively working to find, to save, and to seal all of God's people. Peter gets this moment like, ah, there it is. There's the moment, right? So let's, let's find the grand miracle, right? So the grand miracle is not in healing a paralytic, not in raising from the dead, not an angelic vision, and it wasn't Peter's vision, but the grand vision is the Holy Spirit is working, orchestrating all the steps, the calling, the sending, the falling on, the regenerating, and the becoming the sign of a true believer, all for the saving of God's people. It is the fulfillment of what Christ says in John 10. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. We are seeing a fulfillment of a promise Christ made. We're seeing a complete change, and we're getting a new image, a new view of the work of the Spirit. So we've seen the Spirit fall. We've seen the Spirit rush. Now we've seen the Spirit move, speak, and seal. That, they, that the Spirit would be the sign of not, no longer circumcision, but the Spirit. That we should be able to see the Spirit in us. What does that mean for us? So I think the easiest place for me to tell you, the difference between having the Spirit and not having the Spirit, we can find in Galatians chapter 5. It probably could probably all quote it for me. But starting at verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposing each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. <clears throat> but if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, how do we know one is sealed by the Spirit? We look like Jesus. Everything the law was supposed to do was to create a nation that looked like Jesus. But it lacked something. It lacked the Spirit. 
The law could not bring us to look like Jesus. It couldn't couldn't accomplish it. It was not fulfilled. It wasn't full. It wasn't complete. The law was to point us to something better that was coming. So as circumcision was to be the sign of the law, the promise we made with God that we are His, the Holy Spirit comes and completes that. He says we no longer need the law, right? We're going to naturally do things the law calls us to because the Spirit indwells in us. We look different. We act different. And it has nothing to do with where we came from. Amen? All right, look around the room. We are all a testimony of the work of the Spirit. None of us would be here if the Spirit hadn't moved on our behalf. Even if you were here this morning and you still don't believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he was, you, you are still here for a meaning and a purpose. You still don't see your sin and the need of a Savior, it's okay. It's okay. You being here is the work of the Spirit on your behalf. My prayer is that today would be the day you repent and believe, that today would be the day that you would receive forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that you would receive the sign and seal that you were God's bought by the work of Christ. So the law was given to the people of Israel that, we might look, that they might look different to the nations around them. The Spirit is now given to the church that we might look different in the world around us. The Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of the sign of circumcision, the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of the believers, right? Making us look, act, and love different. So in light of that, a couple thoughts. So seeing that the work of the Spirit and how it is now the sign, some possible uh, takeaways for myself, it brings up a self-reflective question. Would those I live life with outside of church be able to tell that I'm set apart and different by the Holy Spirit. To those outside the church, can they tell I'm different than the world? For all of our new believers, don't let the wonder of the miracle that is the Holy Spirit falling on you fade. Wake up daily recounting, worshiping, and thanking God for sealing you with His Spirit. The worst thing we can do is forget how mighty the work of the Spirit is. For all of our seasoned Christians, hear the words of Peter in verse 41. God calls us, gives us the Spirit that we might be His witnesses, that we might preach the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit might fall on new ears. We get to be part of something huge. Don't forget that. For our parents and kids, how are you as a family living a life that is set apart by the Holy Spirit? Mom and dad, how are you loving each other? How are you drawing your children's heart to the Lord? Kids, how are you loving your siblings? How are you honoring mom and dad? Are you a family that can be identified as set apart, holy to the Lord? And for those of you who don't know Jesus, would that be today? Would you get to experience, would you get the experience of what it is to be set apart, called holy unto the Lord, to be sealed with the Holy Spirit, making forever more as God? Would you turn to God today, repent of your sins? Trust in the saving work of Christ. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God that you too might know what it is to be made clean. If you have questions, find us, please. We would love to talk to you. So with that, let me pray for us, and I'll give you a couple minutes to to give your takeaway. What is something that we read in Acts 10 that you want to take and use this week? What is that one thing that that, that just struck you that you're going to move on and allow to kind of change and mold what you got going on? You guys join me as we pray? Father, thank you for your spirit. 
that works, that moves, that orchestrates, that plans, that, that calls, that sends, that summons, Lord. Father, everything that happened in our chapter 10 and even in chapter 9 was 100% the Spirit moving the narrative. It was the Spirit that kept Peter in Joppa. It was the Spirit that spoke to Cornelius. It was the Spirit that sent servants. It was the Spirit that spoke to Peter and commanded that he go without restraint. It was the Spirit that responded to the preaching of the gospel. It was the Spirit that rejuvenated and called hearts. It was the Spirit that gave Peter new eyes to see. It was the Spirit that made sure witnesses were there, that when it would go to the grander church, there would be no way to deny what the Spirit had done. Every bit of it, a work of the Spirit for the good of your people. Father, we all have that story. We all have the story of the Spirit bringing the right person at the right time that brought us here. So as we talk about and as we think about how we can apply this, Lord, would we not lose sight of that? Thank you for being our God, Lord. We love you. Pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so take about three to five minutes, have a little chat with your neighbors.